This is Amateur Logic episode 108 for September 15th, 2017. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com. And by ICOM. September, time to plan ahead. What's your emergency plan? Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Peter. And I'm Emil. And it's good to be back again. We have a full show tonight. Very full. Yeah, as a matter of fact, so full that, uh, well, we need to get started on this or we're not going to make it. Yeah. Peter, what's been going on to to the very Hello. far south? The very far south? Um, well, I've been playing around a little bit with uh, frequency counters. And also uh, playing around a little bit with FT8, uh, which, of course, is Joe Taylor's new um, uh, mode, a digital mode, and uh, having a lot of fun with that. Okay. Email, what about uh, down south where you are? Well, besides uh, chipping in on all the uh, nets and everything else we could do down here to help out <laughs> neighbors to the west and now to the east, um, uh, I ran across something when I was studying for my extra, and uh, I wondered what it was all about, so I went and did some uh, digging, found it out, and uh, that's what my segment's going to be about. Okay, cool. Are we ready to get on into it, Tommy? Let's roll it. Here's our friend Richard Stubbs from MFJ Enterprises. Richard, it's always great to see you again. It's great seeing you again, George. We're, we had a great show here at Huntsville, as we always do, and saw a lot of fun friends and hanging out and talking a lot of stuff it's been it's been great so what is new at mfj well, the, the newest thing we got now we are the uh distributor in the u.s for messi and poloni coax which is made in italy as uh, stefano messi says with passion and uh, this this stuff is just super lightweight it's ultra low loss and yet it's flexible and it's got really uh, good uh, uh making they have an inner core here that's copper, and then they got this copper uh, sheathing over the top. And we are uh, now selling this through Gigaparts. Gigaparts just took out a big order, and they're going to have it in their uh, in their uh, stores in Vegas and also in, in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. We are uh, giving out these these full catalogs here that, that detail the ten different coaxes that we sell, all the attenuation, the losses. Uh, Everything you want to know about this coax is, is featured in this magazine, and we are sending these uh, coax catalogs out free of charge. So if if somebody wants to get this catalog and take a look at it, if they're in the in the market for some new coax, then this would be something that they would like to pick up. So if they just call us up or send an email, and we will send this this full line, 44-page catalog out to them free of charge so they can check it out. 
That's some interesting looking coax there. I notice, of course, we don't have a strip. Yeah, That's a did. lot lighter yeah. than. Super lightweight. Yeah. It's flexible. You can take this Boy, and put it yeah. around a corner or whatever you have to do. Yeah. And these connectors are fantastic. I mean, they're, they're it's expensive stuff. It's not for everybody, but it, it does do the do the job, obviously. And it'll be something you can set and forget forever, you know. This is a little bit bigger than uh, RG8. So This is uh, equivalent to LMR 600, this particular one. Of course, we got, you know, we got them all. This one is... Uh, the Airborne 5, that's like an RG58, but but they say it's also equivalent to an LMR200. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, very flexible, low loss. Uh, I, I think that's the thing that sets these cables is, apart, isn't it, is the loss? And the quality of the connectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look through the catalog, the losses uh, that they show and the attenuation and all that, it's, it's fantastic numbers in there, so... It's, uh, we're real excited to have this on. We, we've been doing it since February, actually, and introduced it in Orlando. And Stefano Messi, one of the owners, has come around and, and gone to several ham fests with us. And uh, he sold a lot of coax for us. So he was instrumental in bringing the gigaparts uh, online as well. So. so is all of it double-shield cable? I think pretty much uh, I think all the models have some kind of double-shielding, yes. And that... I notice it's a full shield, and then it's got a braided shield around it, but they're both copper. They're not right. aluminum like you see. In right. It's copper, and it's, it's, they have these 24 spooling machines. And you can see the videos, uh, Messi and Poloni, up online. They have a, a ton of videos on their own site, and we've put a lot of them on the MFJ site as well. So very good stuff. We're real excited about it. Yeah. Now that's that one does have the, the uh, that was the ten yeah, but inside the catalog they also show uh, each a big picture that is uh, showing you the coax and how it's put together with all the different elements. So it's it's really sharp stuff, and he's gone into a lot of detail in this catalog. Cool. Yeah, I had a friend telling me about this stuff one day and. Got to say, and I really need to get me some of this. It's Italian, isn't it? Yes, yes. How much coax do you need, George? Uh, I probably do need some coax. Yeah. You need about two hundred feet or so. Or? Is that a convenient length? Yeah. I wish I had the spool here because I toss it at you, and uh, you can see how lightweight it really is. You can't carry that thick stuff on your shoulder, two hundred feet of it. But when we have it rolled up. You can throw it across the room and somebody will catch it. It's incredible. That's pretty lightweight. lightweight. Yes, very lightweight. It's amazing. Well, Richard, we'll be looking to hear more about this coax in the future. I'm sure we're going to start hearing people talk about it on the air. I believe so. It's, it's exciting stuff. So y'all have a great time, and we appreciate you stopping by. Right. 7-3. 7-3. And I failed to mention before we got rolling there, Wayne and I were at the Huntsville Ham Fest. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually where we shot that. And, man, that is some neat-looking coax. Yeah, you know, I saw that. I think they must have just got it when we were at Dayton, mm-hmm. and I checked it out. And it, it looks really nice. It's re- super flexible. Yeah, and really lightweight, uh-huh. too. It's uh, yep. it's it's quite different than, than the coax. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of shielding on it. It should be pretty good. Yeah think it will be. 
Uh, I want to say I saw, saw a um, advertisement in the uh, latest QST or the one before last. You uh-huh. probably did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're just uh, just starting to roll that out here in the U.S. Yeah. I'm a, I, I need to get some coax and replace some of the one. <laughs> Believe it or not, the, I know you're not going to believe it, but the squirrels actually chewed up some of mine. So, Man. <laughs> and, and I swear, man, those things are terrible. Any, at any rate, I'm going to uh, have to replace a piece of coax, so I'm probably going to try some of that. that. They didn't chew up the heliax, did they? They chewed off the insulation off of it. Oh, well, then that's not going to hurt. No, it. but they, there's a piece of coax that was right beside it they chewed, too. Oh. They chewed it down to the braid. Okay. Well, yeah, I've had them get a hold of my uh, cable TV coax before yeah. and lost internet. Man, those things are just chowing down on the bits. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> well, I got, uh, I have. Believe it or not, Tommy, a hat photo here. What are the odds? Where's the hat been this time? That hat gets around, man. Well, this time the hat has been to New York. And I think it's at the uh, Giants dugout store there. Oh, yeah. It's at the ballpark. Awesome. Giant clearance, 50% off on everything but the hat. The hat was <laughs> was not for sale. Yeah. That's our friend John Baggett, K2BAG. John's hat really gets around, and we never know where it's going to show up next. Uh, it does get around, though. It's it's really amazing. It's it's really cool that he, he thinks about taking those pictures everywhere and sends them in, too. Yeah. kind of enjoy seeing them. Well, what have you got for us this month, Tommy? Well, you know, we did a shootout with Ray Novak from ICOM on the uh, the 880. And mm-hmm. the new 4100 radio. Well, mm-hmm. you remember the little handy talkies he had here? Yep. He, they were really cool, so I talked him into, or we talked him into letting him leave him, leaving him with us so I could play with him. So. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we did a SmackDown with Ray Novak from ICOM. He brought a new 4100 D-Star rig, and we used George's 880 D-Star rig, and we had a pretty good time with that. But while Ray was here, like usual, he has some pretty cool toys with him. So he had this set of handy talkies, and uh, we got to looking at them. And anyway, we convinced him to leave them with me for a few weeks so I could play around with them. They're not really ham radio, but they're really pretty amazing. I'm kind of fascinated by them myself, and I thought maybe some of you guys may be too. These radios are the ICOM IP100H and the IP means their internet protocol, um, just like you would think. There's no license required for these. And with the right setup, you can talk around the world with them with no problem. Um, they work over your Wi-Fi network. So, again, there's no license required. They're pretty amazing. To get it to work, it requires this controller head. This is the IP1000C, and this is where all the magic is done. This thing will control up to a hundred of the handy talkies. So to get it to work, you got to use the software, load the Wi-Fi settings into the handy talkie, and it's pretty easy. I've got it on my laptop here. Let's take a quick look at it. Let's first of all, let's go ahead and plug up the cable. We have to use the USB cable, obviously, to connect to the radios. And I heard it get picked up, and 
I'll go ahead and load up the software and let's hook one of them up to the radio just like the ID51 just plug it into the data jack on the back turn the radio on each one of these radios requires a unique ID just a number you know number one two three so on uh, just so they have some type of an ID and let's go in here I've got my LANs set up there's my SSID for my Wi-Fi access point here and I've got my security put in and we're using DHCP if you had static address you could put that information in there and then we've got a provisioning server that's this the IP100C the control control unit and I went ahead and I set it to an IP address that's on my subnet mask here and saved it to there and when we reboot the, the uh, radio it'll come up log into my Wi-Fi show up as a device on my network as long as this thing is on then they can the radios can find each other one thing you see is this is transmitter number one if I load the other one up it's going to be transmitter number two so if I turn this on it's they all log into my Wi-Fi both of them do but let, let's go ahead and do that. It says connecting. I'm not sure if you can see that. But trust me, it does. Setting up. And it takes a few seconds. It's looking for this controller here is what it's doing. But it's not going to find it because for this demonstration, I left the network cable unplugged okay it says it failed and that and that's why okay let, let's test them test one two test one two nothing's happening here because we don't have the control head on the network now let's go ahead and do that plug it up into the back and it's just got there's a cable to log in with a terminal and then there's just four jacks, standard Ethernet jacks, and I'll plug into one of those. Okay, so it's going to take a second to get on the network. Okay, it's on the network. You can see I've got power, voice over IP, and LAN. I did not turn these radios off and back on. I just left them on. Now that this is on, Test one, two. Test one, two. And you can see that they're on. So, to, to me, that's pretty amazing. The, the thing has the ability to send messages. So, if you've got predefined messages, you can send those. You can set up a group and send it to a certain group of people. Uh, you can set up areas and send it to people in your area. It's really, really pretty cool stuff. I've had a good time playing with these things while I've had them here. And uh, like I said, I, I thought maybe some of you guys might be interested in just kind of seeing what's out there. It's not ham radio, um, but still really cool stuff. So anyway, 73, and we'll catch you next time. That was pretty neat. I like yeah, those. Yeah, they were cool. They're, they're not ham radio thing, but but I thought they were fascinating how they work. They work off of the obviously off the Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. um, and I wish I had a VPN to show how to work them over distance. I just didn't have one 
available to be yeah. able to do that. We're going to have to upgrade our routers one day. And yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a VPN I can log into my home from, from outside using a Raspberry Pi, but I haven't figured out how to, to connect two sites together yet. But but they're really cool. Yeah. Uh, I noticed Andy, our, our friend KE0AYJ, you know, the guy with the nice flowery shirts? Yeah, yeah, I know Andy. He says they used some of those down in uh, Beaumont recently. And that they they worked really nice. Yeah, they're they're really cool. The technology to me is kind of amazing, mm-hmm. um, and no license required. It's actually basically the uh, the radio itself is just like the Wi-Fi in your in your computer. And the reason they're so neat uh, for a lot of MCOM operations, you you know the uh, the ICOM MCOM van that I mm-hmm. uh, did a video of. Was it last year at Huntsville? It may have been the year before. I don't remember. Uh, but do you remember that really nice outfitted van? Oh, yeah. They had those in there because then they can give one of those handy talkies to anyone to use. And you don't have to have a ham license. And in mm-hmm. emergency situations, that's yeah, you know, that's handy. So uh, somebody asked, do the handhelds have to be in range of the control unit uh, from the chat no. room? And they don't, as long as it's on the network. Mm-hmm. So the, each one of those radios is basically like a client on your network. Or like, you know, you put in the ESID and log it in to your hotspot. And as long as that that box, that box would be at my house. And if we had VPN here and your mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, then we could talk from my house to here. And you don't have one of them here on site so it, as long as it's on the network anywhere basically in the world yeah it just needs to know that ip address that you saw me put in in the software yeah it's just uh each of the the internet sites that you want to communicate with you need a virtual private network set up amongst them which is can be done over the public internet we just don't yeah don't we just have that we don't up, so. yeah and we really haven't had a need to do that so we don't Until have the hardware now. set up for it yet. yeah yeah but, that was last year, I think, um, George, if you're talking about the Red Icon van. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. I remember you did a review of that. You went inside with the guys from, mm-hmm. was it Florida? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that van yep. is somewhere in Florida tonight, it hunkered down. Gone. Yeah, it'll be rolling here soon. No doubt. So, uh, yeah, great, great idea there. Uh, I was glad Ray left those lo- down here for a little while, where we could play with them. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was neat stuff, kind of something a little bit different, but still kind of radio. It was radio related. Well, we got more to go, and we'll be right back to it. This is the various factories at MFJ. They've got the 45th anniversary. It's coming up on September the 29th and 30th in Starkville, Mississippi. You need to go register now. Go to mfjenterprises.com and register. Free factory tours of all the MFJ factories there. MFJ, Ameritron, Cushcraft, High Game, Mirage, Vectronics, uh, the MFJ Metal Shop. And that'll be on uh, Friday, September 29th, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And Saturday, September 30th, 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. What else is going on there? Well, they're going to have free lunch. I don't know too many hams that don't enjoy a good free lunch. Yeah, free lunch is good. Yeah. So anyway, they're having Mississippi Southern Fried Chicken 
and the fixings in McKee Park on the 30th of September 2017, at actually from uh, noon to 2 p.m. Bring your own lawn chair. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have free prizes there, too, from MFJ, Ameritron, Cushcraft, High Gain, Mirage, and Vectronics. The drawings will be on uh, Saturday the 30th at 2 p.m. You do have to be present to win on that. Yeah, we also got tailgating, so uh, you can haggle and deal in the MFJ parking lot, also at McKee Park. And that'll be on the 30th from 7 a.m. until about 2 p.m. And they've got some free forums that'll be going on there. And if you want to upgrade your license, hint, hint, Emil, they're going to be giving uh, FCC license exams there. The Lyons County Amateur Radio Club VEs will be there uh, giving tests on site. Yeah. Just I, I, need- I wonder. I wonder if they'll get. I can get some extra chicken. You can. <laughs> you might. If you come up. Tommy and I will make sure you get some extra chicken. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go to mfjenterprises.com and register today because if you can, any way you can possibly make it, you need to be in Starkville, Mississippi, September 29th and 30th. You'll really enjoy this. There's one little bit we missed on here about the VE session. If you're mm-hmm. going to come, you want to take it, you need to bring your government photo id and it'll be 15 dollars cash american too. money american money okay yeah all right you get that emil yeah i got it <laughs> okay none of that louisiana funny money all right <laughs> and mardi gras money uh, yeah <laughs> how did you earn that money well i can't talk about it <laughs> okay MFJ Day in the Park. Tommy and I are going to be there. I think Wayne's going to be there. Arnie's going to be there. Uh, a lot of folks. And Ray, Ray's going to be there. This, yeah, it's going to, people are going to be coming from all over. Yeah. It's going to be a big time. I'm, I'm pretty excited about going this time. Speaking of Arnie, I saw him in Huntsville recently. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Here's our friend K5ARN, Arnie Carlson. We always enjoy seeing you at these different ham fests. Yes, nice to meet you, too. This is a great ham fest. This is the fourth time I'm here. You know, I'm a young amateur radio operator in years. There's a guy, anytime we shoot a live show, he's in the chat room, and he's rooting for the bloopers. And that guy is you, isn't it? Yeah, that's great. You know, sometimes you make the boring shows, everything is perfect. I like when it's a little more excitement and a little more hums and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And I notice you're wearing, of course, the amateur logic swag here you got the shirt on but you've also got one of our gold pl 259s you and tommy gave me this at dayton uh, and you said this was the first one that you gave out but i don't know but i'm really honored you know i have followed you for all from the beginning really because i recorded all the programs and as a little gift a token to you i have got something for you there are two golden ring terminals, one red and one black. So please accept them. You keep one and you give one to Tommy. With a, okay. With a thanks from me. I really enjoy your program all the time. We will wear them with pride. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, Arnie, good to see you always. Uh, good to see you also, George. Thank you. Now, now, to edit it. now we need to shoot the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. 
<laughs> well, there you go. That was yeah. the blooper. He has very own. Yep. <laughs> I've got the golden ring terminals right here, Tommy. Awesome. Which which do you want? Do you want the red or the black? Uh, I always go with the red, man. Okay. Yeah. You're, it's positive. You're wearing the red over there. I'm positive I like the red. So is it going to be a <laughs> nose ring or is it just you an just, ear ring? I just don't know. We'll just have to see by next time. Okay. Thanks for I, those, Arnie. Yeah, I appreciate that, Arnie. I, I hate I missed you guys. Uh, I hate I missed everybody at the Ham Fest, but had a family event. So, But anyway, maybe I'll make it next year. Okay. I, I think Arnie might be in my neck of the woods. Somebody, uh, a local ham here, uh, told me on our local VHF repeater he was calling for me. So he must be in the New Orleans area. Oh, wow. Uh, he may be. He gets around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he sure does. I haven't looked to see if he was in the chat room. Okay. Well, where where did Arnie get that shirt, Tommy? Well, it's funny. Same place everyone else can get one, at uh, amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. We have all kinds of swag there. We've got ball caps, shirts, uh, T-shirts, polo shirts, sweatshirts, lots of cool stuff. Uh, Amateur Logic and Ham College swag, as a matter of fact. Amateur Logic dot spreadshirt dot com. That'll do it. When I was in Huntsville, I also met up with our friend Ted Randall. Ted Randall of QSO Radio fame. It has been good to visit with you here in Huntsville this year. Well, we've had a good time here, and uh, we've, of course, I always enjoy talking to you and all the uh, talking about all the different things you do. And I, for some reason, I always forget Amateur Logic. We we, we get into a discussion, and I forget, and that was the first thing that you ever started. And uh, but I, I've enjoyed this ham fest, and we had a, a really good time last night on the air. And uh, I, I was going to say, well, what was your impression of our roundtable last night? What did, what did you think about that? I thought it was a lot of fun. Now, granted, there were a lot of broadcast engineers there, so when you get a lot of us together, you know, there's war stories to be told, uh, questions to ask, and it seems like usually. Most of us have had very similar experiences. Uh, and, and that's true, but what's really funny is when you can compare notes, you know. And it's like one fellow tells one story, well, the next guy's got one that'll actually top it, you know. Yeah. And you think you've heard it all, but then you realize you haven't heard it all. So, so that, But, uh, you know, the, the whole thing about this ham fest has been that it, it, it's always been a very, very friendly, friendly ham fest. Uh, I think one thing is, is because it's it's indoors and there's air conditioning everywhere, so you aren't walking around in an area where you're overheated. But I'll, are you into paranormal and ghost stories or anything like that? Uh, it depends, maybe. Well, okay, sitting here, I had at least three people come by the booth that say they were looking around and either out of their peripheral vision or whatever, they could swear they saw Charlie Emerson here. Okay, now, I thought I, I, I looked across the room once and I had to do a double take. I, I swear I thought I did too. Well, I was in the cafeteria this morning, went down there for a cup of coffee, and I had two other folks, we were conversing, two of them with a ham fest here, and, and said that they had had the same experience. Charlie was so tied to this ham fest. Doesn't surprise me a bit. But, I mean, so we have an official uh, a official sighting of, of Charlie Emerson at the Huntsville Ham Fest. 
2017. And it was yesterday where everybody saw him, everybody agreed. The person they saw had on a blue shirt. So uh, what was it? Yesterday was Saturday. Okay, so I guess the blue shirt was Friday. They were all wearing blue shirts on Friday, so I, I, I don't know. But that, that's interesting, but I think the fellow was really bigger than life. We did several shows with him, and it was the kind of thing I could say, hey, Charlie, what about this? <clears throat> and and he'd go for 15 minutes I mean, talking, but hold you right there. And it wasn't the kind of thing where, like myself, when I get to talk and people are thinking, when is he going to shut up? When Charlie started talking, it was entertaining. And I mean, you, he had you. You know, He really held your attention. And Charlie, for, for those who didn't know him, uh, N, N4LKL, is that, that his call sign? Charlie was the chairman of the Huntsville Hamfest here for many years and really was institutional in, in getting it set up or running as smooth as it does. Uh, Charlie is, is here whether he was cited or not, and I've got to commend everyone this year. He, they kept up the tradition from everything I can see. Charlie had a plan in place already when he became a silent key. They've just carried it on. Yeah, actually, I th- from what I can tell, I think there were more people here this year than there were last year. Um, I I was really impressed with the flea market. There were all kinds of things out there uh, that I didn't see even at Dayton, which I was, you know, here we are indoors, you know. And today it was interesting because I had a chance to walk through, but I think with all of us, Sometimes when a flea market is completely full, some items are masked by other items. So when it thins out and there's less people, all of a sudden you start noticing things you didn't see, you know. Well, thanks, Ted. Appreciate you taking a few moments out here to talk with us. And I will let you get back to the big 150 KW signal now. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And uh, you have a good trip back. Drive carefully. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you then probably at the MFJ thing. Okay, great. Always good to visit with Ted. Oh, yeah. And talking about Charlie, man, he was like one of the nicest guys you would ever want to meet. Oh, yeah. Super, super, yeah. super guy. Yep. Well, oh, I, suspect exactly. yeah. I suspect he's the one that kind of was uh, yep. head that up for that, or the reason for that. Yep. Great ham fest. And I'm... I'm uh, Sad you guys couldn't make it this year. Likewise. None of y'all made it this year, but, uh, hey, Wayne and I had a good enough time for all of you. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did. Well, speaking of good times, we got a lot more to go here. So we'll be back in just a second. Don't go away because we're going to tell you how you might win this radio. Uh, well, the complete package. It's September. Time to plan ahead. What is your emergency plan? September is Emergency Preparedness Month. Now is the time to review your communications plan and make sure your ICOM equipment is ready to go for any air, land, and sea situation. Communicate with the touch of your fingertips. Perfect for small spaces, the IC7100 all-mode transceiver is the ideal D-Star option to add to your communications plan. Angled control head and touchscreen for quick, intuitive operation. Large internal speaker for clear digital audio. And it's perfect for multiband and all-mode communications. A compact and smart design, the ID4100A is a D-Star Mobile with big rig features. 
its intuitive interface, variety of operating modes, and Bluetooth capability make this the preferred D-Star option during an emergency. Integrated GPS receiver, new dot matrix display for enhanced DR mode and GPS information. Terminal mode and access point mode, applications for iOS and Android devices, and a micro SD card slot for voice and data storage. Take the rugged IC2730A dual band transceiver wherever you may be. Its large LCD screen, easy controlled mounting, and Bluetooth capability make it ideal for the ham on the go. VHF VHF or UHF UHF simultaneous receive. 50 watts of output on both VHF and UHF and optional VS3 Bluetooth headset. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. We were talking about that 7300 that uh, seems to be the most popular rig this now. This boy right here. That one right there, as a matter of fact. We're going to give that away on the next show. Yeah. We'll be celebrating. How many years will it be, Peter? Uh, be, are we 12 years now? Be 12 years. Yep. Mm. Time flies doesn't. when you're having fun. Yep. Yeah, wow. It really does I seem like eight and It'll be 20. Yeah. I hope we make it to 20. It's only eight more years. I don't see why not. We ought to yeah. it'll shoot for 20. Yeah. Then after that, we'll shoot for 25. 25. There you, that would be a natural. Wow. Well, you'll be happy. That's a whole lot of bloopers. No, you're that not is. kidding, man. Yeah. <laughs> you are not kidding. Well, we're going to give away that radio right there to celebrate our 12th anniversary. The ICOM MFJ and Heil Sound have teamed up to help us put on this contest around. Also, George and Tommy are chipping in on this particular contest. We've decided to add... Well, a couple of more items to the prize package there. What have we got, Tommy? Well, we just so happen to have a couple of gold PL259s you're going to need for your coax cable. And I believe those are the Dayton Hamvention Commemorative Oops, I guess Edition. So. Right they were there. behind Peter. Yeah. Reach behind Peter and get them. But anyway, two of them from the private collection. Well, actually, they're the Dayton collection. Yeah. So you're going to get a pair of those. You won't actually need them because... You're going to get a 100 foot of MFJ um, RG8X coax, and it'll already have the connectors on it. But what's the big, big piece in this prize here? Well, uh, well, the bigger, the big thing is the IC7300 we just mentioned sit right here in front of me. That's uh, compliments of ICOM. That's uh, the the most popular HF rig going right now. I would say. It's a software-defined radio, but it operates like a traditional HF yeah, rig. Yeah, I had one at the house and played with it. I almost cried when I had to send it back. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it, it's, not, it's a nice radio. I think this is probably, like you said, it's probably the hottest one on the market at the moment. Yeah. For, be- for, for what you get, you can't beat it. I believe it really is. They, they knocked it out of the park with that one. You're going to need some things to go with that. You're going to need a power supply, and we've got the MFJ4230 MVP. It's a 12-volt, 30-amp power supply. Very compact in size. This is actually mine right here I use for a field day or anytime I just need a, you know, a loose 12-volt power supply around the shack here. Uh, on top of that, we've got... 
Now we've got a Heil ProSet IC, uh, specifically tailored for ICOM radios. Yep. And uh, thanks to Bob and everyone over at Heil Sound for contributing these, specifically made for ICOM rigs. Yeah. You're going to need an antenna, and we've got the MFJ1835 five-band cobweb antenna, and you have used... I did that use before. it on field day, and it worked fantastic. Yeah. And it's it's so compact, it, it's super light. It's really nice. I'm actually considering putting one up at home. It is a, a very nice antenna for 20 meters and up. And they're working on a, a version that will uh, be 40 meters mm -hmm. and up. But it gets a little bigger for, for 40 meters, yeah. naturally. Uh, that and, of course, the coax. So complete HF set up there. Uh, thanks, ICOM, MFJ Enterprises, Howl Sound for making that possible. To qualify, well, we've got got a few qualification uh, rules here, same as we do in um, all our contests. You must be a licensed U.S. or Canadian amateur radio operator with the U.S. or Canadian shipping address. Only one entry per contestant. Sending more than one entry will disqualify the applicant, so, so please don't spam the entry account because that's only going to hurt your chances and the winner be responsible for uh, any taxes that may be incurred and the winner agrees to the use of his or her call sign and name in promotional and news items related to the contest and contestants must not be an employee of amateur logic icom or mfj enterprises or, or how sound or how sound or affiliates boo hiss hiss uh, <laughs> sorry mel uh peter <clears throat> Y'all, y'all can't win, but you know we wouldn't have drawn your name anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody's going to win though. How can they enter, Tommy? Well, you can send an email to contest twenty seventeen at amateurlogic tv. Uh, put your call sign in the subject line. Include your name, call sign, class of license, and address in the email message. And submissions have got to be made between August the sixteenth of 2017, and Wednesday, October the 11th, 2017. That means yeah, you've got, you got one month. Mm -hmm. uh, so go register today if you haven't already. And how will we uh, select a winner? Well, the contest winner will be selected by a random number from the entries received. The winner will be announced on the October the 15th episode of AmateurLogic.tv. And, of course, the live stream, we'll see it a few days before that. Yeah. And, um, of course, you know, if we determine that the, for some reason the winning entry doesn't meet the qualification requirements, we'll choose another winner by the same method. Now, you can get the contest rules and all the information. It's posted at amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Uh, go over there, check out everything, make sure that, You've completed your entry correctly, and when you send in your entry, you will get an auto-reply from the contest system there telling you that, you know, we, we received your entry. Yeah, so if, if for some reason you don't get the auto-reply saying that your submission was, was accepted or received by us, mm -hmm. then uh, be, check your spam account. Sometimes your spam uh, filter will pick it up, and if you look and you don't find it, you know, let us let one of us know, and, and we'll be glad to look for you and see. Yeah. All right. So, uh, amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Go there. Check it out. 
and uh, register to win. I'm in the ICOM booth with Will Jordan here. Uh, what is your title now with ICOM, Will? Well, my official title is Amateur Sales Representative. Uh, so I, uh, I handle all of our uh, independent dealer accounts. Uh, that's uh, folks like Gigaparts, DX Engineering, RNL Electronics, uh, Associated Radio, Radio City, Universal Radio. Sorry if I missed anybody. Main Trading Company in Texas as well. Uh, so I work with those guys and then uh, travel around a little bit here and there doing shows like uh, the Huntsville Ham Fest where we are today. Uh, and I'm based out of uh, good old Atlanta, Georgia on the East Coast. So it's an easy city to travel from, so it makes it easy to uh, get out and see the sights and sounds and meet all the, all the uh, ham radio folks at shows around the country. So how many ham fests a year? Ooh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of well, 10 or so. 10, 15, something like that. Still liking it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a fun gig. You know, it's uh, working, in, working in a hobby that you enjoy and appreciate is uh, as much as anybody can ask for. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. Well, I, I'm just going to ask you one sales question here. All right. What do you sell the most of these days? Well, these days, George, as you can probably guess, it's all about the 7300. That is the, the hot radio Right now, it's generated a lot of uh, a lot of excitement, and uh, I've yet to meet anybody who has a bad word to say about it. Uh, that's I, I wholeheartedly agree because it, it's so new, so different, yet so familiar. Exactly, exactly, and and as you say, they're familiar. Folks will you know folks will side up to it here in the booth, and you know within just five or ten minutes of uh you know spinning the dials and, and pushing the buttons they you know have developed a level of familiarity that uh is you know hard to get with some of these other radios that are uh you know real heavily multi-menu driven and things like that so it's it's a it's a there is a learning curve of course that goes along with learning any new radio but with the 7300 i've found that uh getting to the top of that curve is much easier for folks by and large yeah you really you may not even know you're operating a software-defined radio unless somebody told you. That's exactly right. That's one of the beauties of that 7300 is the fact that uh, as you look at it sitting on a table, uh, you'd never know that it's anything other than uh, just your you know, average ham radio. But uh, it's got all the benefits of an SDR with all the familiarity of a traditional radio. Thanks for talking with me, Will. We're going to see if we can get one more ICOM representative, and this is her first year in Huntsville. I wager we can probably get her in here. Hi, Diane. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you too. Let's, well, I we I saw you in Dayton, of course, and I've seen you working at uh, the ICOM headquarters out in Washington. We visited out there one time, but you you have changed locations now, haven't you? Uh, yeah. Now I work out of my house in uh, Lockport, Illinois, which is about 38 miles southwest of Chicago. And what do you do with ICOM now? Well, my official title is National Sales Accounts Representative or Administrator. And um, I actually have amateur accounts and land mobile accounts. So my am amateur accounts are, um, well, actually it's HRO now. And so I um, work with the HRO stores, HRO corporate. And then on the land mobile side, I have Bearcom and I also have um, Granger. Granger's a big one, huh? Yeah, that's actually one of my new accounts, and they are all over the place. Oh, yeah. yeah. So do you like it? Of course I do. <laughs> so 
Do you, do you get your hands on the radio some now? I've started to. Um, at my house, I am actually waiting for a um, antenna to come, mm-hmm. and so I have a few radios that I'm going to set up and start working on. And um, also, I will have a kit to go out to local um, ham fests. So I'm actually going to be at the Peoria ham fest, and um, that's a small one. And then you know, in my neighborhood. Okay, cool. What do you think about Huntsville? This is your first year here, right? Yeah, it is. Actually, I really, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's one of the smaller hampas, as far as I can tell, <clears throat> and um, it was really busy in the booth yesterday, and that makes it a lot more enjoyable for ICOM. <laughs> it, it, it's probably one of the smaller ones that ICOM and the the major radio manufacturers exhibit at, but actually, it's a it's one of the bigger ones. Yeah. In the country, yeah, one of the, well, especially in the South. Okay. Uh, it's it is real friendly though, a lot, a lot laid back from Dayton. Right, right. The people here are really enjoyable to talk to, and um, they they've only had good things to say. So. So what do you, what do you think is the best selling uh, amateur rig now? Well, like Will said, of course it's a seventy three hundred. Yeah. I've actually had a lot of um, uh, inquiries about the ID4100A, which is our new uh, dual-bound mobile. Yeah. Well, good to talk with you, Diane, and welcome to the South. And, uh, you know, we'll look forward to seeing you. Well, it'll probably be Dayton again. Okay. okay. Well, it's good to see you, George. 7-3. Okay, 73. Thanks. Well, Ray, I've talked to these other two ICOM representatives here today, and... You, you brought a crew with you, or actually, you met them here because now you're all based in different locations around the country. Yes, sir, we are. It, with me being out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Will out of Atlanta, and Diane out of the Chicagoland area, it's got to spread out quite a bit. How, how's that working? Does it put you in closer contact with the customers? It does. Uh, the main reason for me moving to Texas was for the land mobile side where we have go local, go technical. I've got a salesperson who lives also in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that's responsible up to the Mississippi River. So basically from New Mexico to the Mississippi River. And then I have one that lives in Nashville that is responsible for the southeast. And Keith came down yesterday. We walked around, looked at the Land Mobile dealers, looked at some of the Land Mobile junk, and just asked questions because hams are in emergency communications and different things where they will use some of our, our other divisional radios. So it, it's a good connection, and it's working quite well for us. A lot of the Land Mobile guys are hams too, aren't they? Quite a few of them. It's, it's been interesting, and, and it's really a small world. So... I asked Will, and I asked Diane what was the most popular radio right now. So I'm not going to ask you that because I think everybody's wanting to to know. When are we going to see the 7610? I thought you just said you weren't going to ask me because you asked me. No, I asked them about what was the most popular. Oh, Uh, This might be the new most popular. We don't know yet because it's not out. But, and, and... Everybody's been drooling over it, wanting to learn more. So, any idea? Yeah, the number one question has been when it's going to be available. We're looking at probably November time frame. Uh, 
uh, I've heard a lot of sighs and a lot of moans, but then I go, do you want us to get it right, or do you want to be part of that update-a-week club? And I think everybody's tired of the update-a-week club, so we're trying to make sure that it's right when it hits the market. Hey, I wanted to show you one thing, though. This is very interesting. This is a blast from the past. Looking through, it's a product and price catalog from ICOM with the, with the old logo that we had. And on the back of it, it's got the original ICOM address, not the one that we had in the other building, the one that you did the tour, or the one that we had vacated before you gave the tour on. So this one is 2112 116th Avenue. But look at this other address on it. It's Dallas, Texas. That's right before... ICOM East and ICOM West merged. It then became one facility out of Bellevue. But I'm looking in here. They actually put in the MSRP. And this one is the IC25A 2-meter FM radio. The MSRP is $349. For 2-meter radio? 2-meter only, yes, sir. It must have been a really good radio. Uh, For that time period. And those dollars. Now... What could you buy a Coke for back then? Uh, what year was this? It was probably mid to late 70s. A dime? Ten cents maybe for Coke? And then you, you take a look at it. Try to imagine 25 watts, five memories, and two scanner systems in a two-inch high, five-and-a-half-inch wide, and seven-inch deep, two-meter transceiver. That was only 25 watts. Boy, folks really didn't know what was coming, did they? No, not really. And I, I was flipping through here looking at the old 720A. The MSRP was 1349 If you got the internal power supply, it went up to 1498 So you're looking at, and this was just HF only, no work bands. And they say ham radio is expensive today. Well, it's it's obviously not. Things have come down even in the 25, 26 years I've been a ham. Here's our little portable QRP radios, the 202S, 402, 502, to see where it's come in, what, that would have been 40 years ago. Back when I was wanting to become a ham but didn't, I see now I couldn't have afforded it because I was a kid. Well, I was too. I, I could spell ham and I could definitely eat it. Yeah. But I wasn't ready to be in the ham radio at that point. Yeah. Ray, it's always great to talk with you. We'll be looking for you soon. All right, sir. Thank you very much for having me on. And, hey, if any of you guys can make it to Huntsville for the Ham Fest, you'll really like this. The people are real friendly, and you get to see George roaming around. And I think my number one question was, hey, have you seen George and Tommy? 73, everybody. 73. I had that question a lot, too. Have you seen George and Tommy? Yes. Yes. Really? Wow. <laughs> hey, Peter, have you seen George and Tommy? Uh, I saw them on, on, on my TV just recently. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Man, those prices in that book, that's that's a trip. That was some real money back in the 70s. I remember that's, now why I didn't become a ham. Yeah, it's real money today, too. But yeah. back then, that was like, it was probably like four times the amount of money yeah. equivalent today. But it was a 25-watt, five-channel rig. Scanning, yes, dual-scan capability. You can scan those five channels both ways, Yeah, counterclockwise or clockwise. 
And it's variable speed, too. Uh -huh. <laughs> wow. Well, Emil, what have you got for us this time around? Well, you know, guys, I was studying for the extra. And going through the um, material, I ran across something in the um, 60 meter. I believe it's the 60 meter. That's the 5 gig, the 5 mag band, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. 60 meter band. And I kept noticing these designations when they were saying how you limit your power and the bandwidth that you can take. And I wondered what that was all about. Did some reading led me to one of the ITU's specifications, and that's what the segment's all about. Hi, George, Peter, and Tommy. Today I wanted to talk about uh, ITU emission designations and ham radio. Sometimes we see them on the specs of the radios. Uh, I ran across it when I was uh, reading and studying for the extra. So I think it's worth talking about and uh, something to learn. The ITU has a document called the WRC-12 with an appendix, appendix one, and it basically goes over the uh, classification of emissions and necessary bandwidths so that you can uh, identify with a short code uh, and classify the types of emissions that our radios make. Uh, section one is the necessary bandwidth. There is some uh, definitions on that. I won't cover them. I'll go into great details here. Uh, section 2 of the code class is classifications, and they're classified according to their characteristics, as they put it. And you'll see those characteristics. There's actually three symbols for that second section there. You'll see that in a minute. There's a format here. If you notice at the top right, there's uh, four Bs, a 1, 2, 3, and a 4, and a 5 characters, I guess you could say, their positions in this uh, code. The four B's represent the necessary bandwidth. The section 2A represents the basic characteristics of the emission. And then the four and the five characters are the actual characteristics for the classification. Uh, and you'll see a little bit more about that. And we'll actually give um, demonstrations for our ham radio. So section one, those B's. Um, if you notice, they kind of conform to the standard Hertz, kilohertz, megahertz, and gigahertz, or HKMNG, as far as that uh, letter goes. And there's also uh, numbers in the ranges that you can represent with those. Section 2A has a bunch of values that can be used, and this is what they mean. Uh, for instance, uh, F, as in Frank, you have frequency modulation there. Reference 2A, the second digit, would be... Things like one channel containing analog information, like the number three there in the chart. So that's the second value. The third position of value of section 2A would be things like uh, data transmission or A, oral telegraphy as they call it, or E, most common for us is the phone or telephony. telephony. Uh, the fourth digit and uh, these something to note these are optional um, if you want to go into this level of detail you can and they have codes for them but they are optional if it's stereo if it's mono if it's um, uh, con different conditions different amounts of condition codes and then finally value number five is the type of multiplexing frequency division or time division uh, multiplexing etc again these are optional uh, some common ham methods here F3E 
Foxtrot 3 Echo. This is a standard FM uh, emission type from most of our radios, like when we're working simplex or, or inputs into the repeater here. Uh, it's frequency modulation, the F, and then the 3 is one channel containing analog information, like our voice, and then E, which is telephony, or voice. That's the type. So F3E would be the common type of transmission that we all use on 2 meters, 440 for FM. It's J3E, which is the J is a single sideband with a suppressed carrier. LSB and USB on our rigs, right? The number 3, again, is one channel containing analog information, and E is telephony, voice. So most of our HF uh, communications over voice is using J3E emission type. J2B. Alright, J is the single sideband, again, with a suppressed carrier, and the 2 in this case is one channel containing digital information this time. Notice the difference, the other one was analog information. This is digital information using a subcarrier. And then B says electronic telegraphy intended to be decoded by machine. Plus using, let's say, Ham Radio Deluxe. <laughs> or um, you know using some of the digital modes that are out there over HF or sideband and another example is over here to the right A1A Alpha 1 Alpha you have uh, double sideband amplitude modulation or AM and then you have the number one one channel containing digital information with no subcarrier and then finally there's A again oral telegraphy intended to be decoded by ear this time instead of by machine like down here. So uh, this is much nerdier way of saying CW. Not so common ham radio examples. Uh, I was reading through and this is what tripped me into this. I was reading about the requirements on the 60 meter band, the 5 megahertz band. There's some pretty explicit restrictions for our operations on the 60 meter band and the way you can see that is through its emission designator 2K80J3E. <laughs> Alright, well if we do the math there, we're basically saying this is a 2K bandwidth or 2.8K bandwidth. The actual 8.0 is after the K if you notice, but they get four values there. So 2K, 2.8K, J3E, sideband, voice, one channel containing analog information, and then the E was voice to be listened to by human. So you know that's what these things actually mean and the 60 meter band they do give us pretty uh, tight restrictions like having a 2.8k signal you have to maintain uh, within the upper side band part 47 I think it is the amateur you know our our rules the ham radio rules here in the US so then there's data versions and here's a CW you know the 150 that could be a, a case where you're using 150 Hertz that's if you notice it's not a K or a M or a G it's just H that's 150 hertz wide bandwidth A1A, which is CW. So I went digging a little bit and found that Yesu's C4FM or Fusion was uh, designated as 11K2F7W. <laughs> well, I'll let y'all look that up because it's basically saying here that it is 11.2K uh, um, and F7W, you'll know, has. Uh, its own meanings there, along with uh, D-Star, 6K25, uh, F7W. I want to say this W is pretty special too, it means any combination of things. 
which makes me proud to be a ham because I realized uh, our radios are capable of doing a lot of things with a lot of different variations and modes and methods. So uh, check out those designations, F7W. And then finally, something we use on the MCOM side here in our group over HF is uh, MT63. We send uh, the forms and ARIES back and forth via this mode using FL Digi. And that has a designation of 1K, 00. Sometimes they put these 00s there and sometimes they don't. But it's 1K wide on uh, J2D, which is digital. Interesting stuff to know. And uh, there's a lot of information there. You can go get the uh, things and you can look them up. Um, there's even a site dedicated to looking up these things. And uh, of course, the ITU presents their standard for it, as well as Part 97. So now we'll go into a little bit of a demonstration of each one of these from a ham radio perspective. As you can see here, this is a normal FM emission type. I do have the wide FM selected, and it's just a uh, communication sent to a local repeater. KE5QKR. And here's a not-so-common transmission with the D-Star. As far as its emission type, you'll see it's one of the non-common or not-so-common, the known, I should say, uh, emission types. KE5QKR. And here's yet another uh, con common uh, mode, lower sideband on the HF bands. KE5QKR. Uh, close, close. It's Emil over in uh, Slidell. Almost to the border, but not quite. Close one. Okay, Karen, she's one I'm thinking of. Kilo Echo 5, Quebec Kilo Romeo. In early and nothing for the net, sir. Alright, uh, we got you. I was thinking the wrong call when I did that. Roger, Roger. 73 to you. And another not so common use here, if you see the radio's mode in the top left is set on C4FM. Um, this repeater is a fusion repeater and it does uh, accept um, C4FM to, the, to its input. Now it will output FM, they've got it set that way, but people who have the um, fusion radios can go in that way if they're uh, willing to. So there's a case where the emission is actually changing going into the repeater and coming out a different but uh, anyway it's good to know these things and understand what they mean well I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with um, some of the lower speed modes and uh, HF uh, modes as far as digital carriers go. We've heard that before, but they all have their own designations as subcarrier or uh, data uh, on a subcarrier of a particular uh, mode, in this case upper sideband. So knowing, you know, knowing what those codes mean and uh, what, what that equates to on the bands is, again, it's good information to know and understand. It's always good to also be able to uh, see what you have. So if you built one of those SDR 
uh, dongles, you can actually see and uh, start to understand what those codes mean, like uh, when something's narrowband FM uh, modulated. You get to actually see that on the uh, waveform here. This is one of the uh, NOAA weather stations in narrow FM. Another type of uh, emission here is the wide mode FM, um, which if you wonder why they have some of the different designations they do, if you notice in the upper right hand corner here, you have the RDS. So there's actual digital signals or digital information being transmitted along with the analog carriers. Now in this particular station's case there's also the uh, digital sidebands for HD radio. So lots of stuff going on in this waveform. This is why you can imagine there would be different classifications and designations for these uh, type of transmissions. So again, good to know. Now there are still unclassified communication systems yet to be uh, invented, so you know we don't know them all. Okay, Mel, that was good. Yeah, well, that's a pretty interesting stuff. There's a lot of information there. It's totally nerdy, uh, but it was cheap. It didn't cost anything for me to go and re do that research. But again, the, the reason I went and looked it up was because of that 60 meter blurb in the uh, rules for the extra exam. I didn't know what they meant until I started reading and realized there's a whole... I'm sure you guys as broadcast people probably know more about it, but I didn't, so there's there's that. Too. Yeah, we yeah. only need to know three or four in broadcasting. Yeah, so. it, it looks like government speak, too, because that's a similar way that they uh, denote the, like the weather forecast from the FAA and things like that, because I, I, I kind of was skimming through and looking to maybe take my Part 107 test mm -hmm. for drone stuff and uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that's like that well if you go look at your um the radio the rigs specs they're all like that you know because they don't call it fm they call it the emission types you mm -hmm. know and they list them like that so yeah well, that's yeah. pretty interesting well i've got uh another interview here this one i did when I was in Huntsville here this past uh, past month. I'm here with Rich Moseson, the editor of CQ Magazine. Good to see you again. How how have you been? Oh, I've been great. It's uh, fun to be here. Always enjoy doing shows. and uh, But uh, looking forward to get back home, too. So I can understand that. Well, what's been going on at CQ Magazine in the last year or so? Well, it's an interesting time to be in the publishing business. Have some difficult moments, but we're getting through, and uh, we're uh, plugging along. We've got fantastic content every month, and uh, some of the greatest writers out there, as uh, we have since we started back in 1945. We've always been blessed with fantastic writers who help bring the excitement of what they're doing across to the readers. Well, you know, there's not many amateur radio magazines out there at all today not that there were ever a whole lot what would you say was the difference between the early days and today as far as the content of the magazine well i wasn't around in the earliest days been around for a piece of it, it well what's what's different is what's the same 
because what we've always done is try to key in on what is of greatest interest to the ham community and focus on that. We've always had a focus on operating and on fun part of ham radio. And that doesn't mean that we've ever shied away from the technical part of things. It's just the technical stuff that we do is practical. Uh, how is this going to help you in your station have more fun, be more successful in what you're trying to do, etc.? So we, we do generally stay away from the esoteric stuff that is not going to be of practical use to the general readership. Um, but we've always been in the forefront of new trends and, and new directions in the hobby. Uh, back in the 1950s, the big thing was surplus. And we were in on that and to all sorts of articles and books on how to convert military surplus radios to the ham bands and to have, you know, good time with them. Uh, we were the, you know, the, the entire amateur satellite program was an outgrowth of a column in CQ in the late 50s. Uh, we promoted radio teletype. We promoted single sideband. Um, today, uh, coming up in our September issue, we've got three articles on this new FS8 digital mode. Or, I'm sorry, FT8 digital mode um, that just appeared <laughs> and, and has been taking VHF in particular by storm. But uh, So we keep an eye on what's coming up next and do our best to help promote that and help people get active in doing it. I noticed there's a lot of materials on your table here. Tell us a little bit about what you brought with you today. Well, obviously magazines, um, the most recent two issues, and uh, we also publish books and CD versions of, of books. Um, right now we've got our newest book, Dits and Daz, which is a great book on Morse code. You can't teach Morse code in a book, but so he doesn't try. The author, who is a longtime broadcast journalist, has managed to compact a lot of information into a very small amount of space, which uh, is what broadcast journalists are taught to do. And uh, he's got lots of stuff in there for the beginner, the, the neophyte who's just starting to learn the code, or someone who's learned it and is trying to get their speed up with all sorts of references on where to go for online or audio instruction. Uh, a lot of different resources out there, and he has connect links to all of those. For the person who's getting on the air with code uh, early on, a lot of all, all the different abbreviations and prosigns that are commonly used that you don't get taught when you're just learning the code. Um, and then for the more advanced code operator, uh, something I've never seen before in a book, look at, at some of the more common types of keys and bugs and keyers and how to maintain and adjust and repair them. And it, you, you don't see that anywhere. And all of this in this little book. So it's fantastic. Sounds like a great resource. You know, sometimes it's just fun to go back through these old magazines and see, you know, what what equipment we were looking at 20, 
30, 40 years ago. Oh, I, I love to do that, and uh, you know, especially looking at the ads and uh, seeing how things have changed and how things haven't changed. Some things haven't. Um, and you, know, you, you look at the prices, and, oh, this was thirty-four ninety-five back in 1956. Oh, and now I've got to pay $300 for the same thing. But then you do the, go to the uh, inflation calculator on the web, and you find out that thirty-five dollars back in nineteen fifty-six is like six hundred and fifty dollars today. So you're actually paying a lot less today for products that do more better than you would have then. Yeah, certainly so. Well, I see that you brought uh, Jason with you today. Associate editor, it's Jason Feldman, KD2IWM. How you doing? What is your job at CQ? What do you do? Well, I'm the, um, like I said, the associate editor. I uh, make sure, along with Rich, that uh, all the words you read in, in the magazine make sense and that they're grammatically correct and that it follows a proper form. Um, also, I help out with the, you know, attending trade shows, uh, ham fests, um, and um, you know, also do the, uh, the contest scores, like all the scores in the back. I, I help uh, put them into a form that people would be able to read them so that they, they look good and, and uh, anyone can, everyone can find it, you know. Well, that, that's an important job because, you know, with so much content being published on the Internet today, I don't think anybody reads it before it gets out there, and uh, some of it doesn't make sense. Well, CQ is real big in, in the contesting that you sponsor and hold every year. What would you say is the most popular CQ contest? Well, I think the most popular CQ contest is the CQ Worldwide um, DX Single Sideband Contest. That's one that gets the most logs received. It's followed closely by uh, the CW portion of the con- of uh, you know, Worldwide DX. Um, WPX is actually our uh, is probably the second most uh, popular. Um, followed by, uh, I believe, 160, and then it's uh, the Riddy, Riddy and Riddy WPX as well, and then and then VHF, which you know, uh, which is where I guess the was it the FT8 thing where we found out that everyone was going into FT8 during the CQ VHF contest weekend, which was held in July. Um, so VHF, I would say, is probably our our, our you know. Not as popular as the other ones, but uh, you, the, I guess that's just the nature of propagation for VHF. It's you know very limited in terms of you know where you can go, except if you're on six meters, of course, then you can speak to the world. But uh, well, the guys who are big in VHF contesting, that they're, they're way overboard, man. I mean, that that is their thing. Yeah, I know, and they take it very seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for talking with us, Jason. It was good to meet you. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. And, Rich, I want to uh, wish you continued success with CQ here, and uh, thanks for helping make so many new hams and keeping those of us who are in there informed. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we try to do is, is to cover the broad spectrum of the hobby so that... You know, I occasionally hear people say they're getting bored with ham radio, and I tell them that they've got to open their eyes and look around a little more because you may be getting bored with the specific aspect of ham radio that you're doing now, 
but there's always something new and different out there to discover and challenge you. And uh, I, I, I would find it impossible to get bored with this hobby. There's just too much to do. And you can't ever do it all. And you can't be an expert at all of it, which is why we try to gather up the experts in each different area to share their knowledge and experience with the readers in, in a way that is easily understood. And that's a big emphasis of ours is that the person we don't assume that you already know everything about the topic we, we do assume that you're an intelligent person who can learn pretty easily but you can't know everything about everything and if you did there wouldn't be a need for a magazine uh, so uh, we try to make sure that our writers keep in mind that the, per the people reading the magazine and their article may not be familiar with the subject area that they are so you have to have a kind of a ramp up uh, to get people up to speed and for starters why would I want to do such and such and then oh okay how do I do this part of it and that's where you get off into the what the article covers but uh, we we try very hard not to assume that people are already experts in the area that is being written about. Rich, good to see you again, as always. And I guess we'll probably see you in uh, Dayton next time. Yep. Definitely. It's always great to visit with Rich. A short segment this, this month, but a very important one. So here's a bit of news for you. Hello, everyone. Mode operates in 15-second transmissions with structured messages somewhat like JT65. You will recall in the last episode that I mentioned that the FT8 Digital Mode Experimental and General Use Group on Facebook had grown to 2,378 members. Well, it's now just four weeks later and the group is at a staggering 3,733 members and still climbing. That's huge. And one of the users of this mode has been none other than Joe K1JT himself. Quite a few people have worked him. But the biggest news is that WSJTX, the software that uses FT8, has just had a major new release, namely version 1.80-RC2. Note that this is not a full release, but then again version RC1 the first version to feature FT8, was a candidate release as well. Some changes have been made with the new software, which improves its performance. I and others have now noticed considerably better decoding sensitivity with the version RC2. Whereas previously the software would decode down to about minus 19 or minus 20 dB, it is now regularly decoding down to minus 24 dB. This means that the software will now decode weaker signals much better, which means improved opportunities for working DX stations. Another improvement is that the software will now automatically detect when the station you are trying to contact has instead started a conversation with someone else, and if so, it will shut down your transmitter so that you don't inadvertently transmit over the top of the other station. Let me illustrate how this works. 
In the example shown, you can see that I was calling CQ on 20 metres without success. The transmission highlighted in green shows that Kazumi JA2QVP from Aichi Prefecture in Japan then called CQ. I responded to him, but then the next transmission was from Kazumi to another station, AE6BH. Clearly, Kazumi didn't hear my signal, but has now started a conversation with someone else he has heard. At this point, the new software sees this and turns off my transmission so I don't transmit over the top of the American station. That's quite clever and should make communication more orderly for everyone. One problem you may see when you load up the software for the first time is that all the frequencies over to the left of screen have all disappeared. I'm not sure whether this is a bug or not, but it is easily fixed. Simply go to Settings, Frequencies, then right-click on the Frequency table and then hit Reset. Also, for Windows users, remember that timing is critical when using FT8. So if you're having trouble decoding stations, make sure your system clock is synchronized with the time server. That's all for today. Go download version 1.80 RC2 of the software and start working those DX stations. Before we go, a couple of things we want to mention. One is our, uh, our social networks. You know, we're on Facebook and uh, we've got a Google Plus community as well, and you can follow us on the Twitters. Yeah, at Amateur Logic and at Ham College. Yep. Uh, go over there, uh, join in. Always a, a good time going on. We look over that stuff and, uh, you know, see what people have got to say and get a lot of ideas out of there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, we want to mention our wiki, the show notes, if you're interested, amateurlogic.tv slash wiki. Our friend Dan Van Evenhoven in 90LVS puts that together for us every month. Yeah, he's been doing that a long time. Really appreciate the hard yeah. work on that, Dan. We do. Thanks for being here, everyone. Uh, Tommy and I will be back at the end of the month for the next episode of Ham College. We're studying for the general amateur radio uh test right now and we've we've just barely scratched the surface on that we got a lot oh, yeah. to know yet it's uh it's a lot more intense than the tech stuff yeah so. quite a bit more than the tech stuff uh so join us end of the month for that and we'll be back around the 15th of next month and we're going to give away this radio package here the 7300 the mfj power supply antenna and coax the howl uh, pro set ic and uh, of course the pair of faux gold PL259s. <laughs> faux gold. Yep. Uh, Amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Go these get are all great the to wear around so. your neck like you saw Arnie do. Yeah. But what are we going to do with these? We haven't decided no, on we're our little to figure that terminals out. here yet. But. I didn't even know they made these with the gold or faux gold. Yeah. They do. Well, I see that. And now we've got a pair. Well, now I've got pretty much everything. <laughs> All right. Any final words before we go, Tommy? No, appreciate you guys joining us, and uh, we will see you next time. Okay. Peter? Uh, yep. Just uh, download the new version of FT8, particularly if you're using a release RC1 at the moment. It's very important that you update to RC2. 
and uh, you'll see greatly improved results. Okay, email. Well, just as uh, all seriousness here, yeah, I'm about to go switch over to see what's on HF, just like you guys were saying. So God bless mm-hmm. everybody in Florida. You're going to mm-hmm. need it. Yeah. Yeah. Get out from everybody in Australia, too. Yeah. All right. Well, 7-3, everyone. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for being here. internal speaker for clear digital audio and it's perfect for multi-band and all mode communications a compact and smart design the id 4100a is a d-star mobile with <laughs> now what now i'm trying to figure out how to if you get tired of one thing move on to something else like peter right now you've got well you're kind of focusing in on one area right now i think Oh, is this a lead-in for uh, um, my next segment? No, it's not. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just. Oh, all right. I'm stalling while Tommy does something over here. That's what actually is I'm going done. on here.